So technology is out to get me because I uh, last night I tried to print out my notes and the computer said the the very part that prints it died. <laughs> uh, it just that's what it said and I had no idea what that meant and then it didn't turn on. So I'm doing. Uh, oh, thanks. You're good. Um, so that, that's what we're going to be covering uh, today. Is we're going to be going through. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Yeah, my printer dying. Sorry. Uh, we're going to cover the, uh, the, the lesson for today, which is on uh, a Lutheran approach to outreach. We're talking about the first circle and that kind of big dartboard-looking thing here of the church, where outreach begins in the church, and then it grows to family, to the string, to the vocation or occupation at the end. Um, we've talked about... This inner circle is made up of three components, right? The first, we said, is faithfulness. The second is beauty. And the third, now today, is hospitality. So if you do these three things, you're securing a very good church home. Uh, And that's what we want to do. We don't want to uh, be so busy out here that we neglect this. What's the, the point of bringing them to something? So you say, well, let's secure what we're going to point them to. Let's make sure that's up and running well. And then we have some place to tell people to go. Right? That's the point. So, we, so that this, the Lutheran approach to outreach begins in the church. It begins primarily with uh, faithfulness. Um, and then it continues with beauty. That, that faithfulness is reflected in architecture and art and, be, uh, and, and what is beautiful in the world. Uh, in the liturgy, in the hymnody, these sort of things. And then finally, now hospitality. And what I've seen is that many church growth books will just talk about this last piece, which is hospitality, and then forget kind of the top two, faithfulness and, and beauty. But the point is we're holding it all together, and this is an important part. So uh, the church is unique uh, in every way. In doctrine, you hear words and phrases and ideas and teachings that you don't hear anywhere else. Um, in liturgy, uh, you, the service is unlike anything modern or contemporary we see, uh, so that what you ha- have in the service, speaking together, uh, speaking f- things from memory, singing, um, responsive uh, uh, praying and responsive singing is part of it. The, the whole liturgy itself is formal and reverent and deliberate in this way. Uh, also, in architecture, the church is a unique and different place. It, well, it should be. That uh, the building looks like nothing else. Uh, it's, it's unique in, in other in, in the ways. In fact, you'll notice that with the new building we're building, um, if you look at the sanctuary, uh, this stuck out to me very prominently when I first saw it, was all of the windows and the shapes of that building are very unique. Even the angle, the pitch of the roof is different. If you compare it, if you just take a glance around and look at it, uh, all of the roofs kind of have the same angle. They all have the same square windows. And everything is very rectangular, uh, very uh, standard in this way. And then you get to the church and it's different, right? And the windows are huge and they're like uh, arrows pointing up. Uh, Well, that's the point is that that in and of itself is going to call your attention. And that's what we talked about in beauty. Um, Now, even though the doctrine, the liturgy, the building are all unique, uh, the truth is is that we're used to them. 
All of us are, are used to it. The liturgy, it, my professor used to say, the liturgy is like a good pair of shoes. That if it's a good pair of shoes, then what? You wear them. Sorry? You wear them. You wear them? All the time. All the time, and you don't notice them. Right? You just wear them, and you don't know that they're on your feet. You just go about your day. Um, and if you do notice something in, in your foot, then it's, then it's not the right fit. It doesn't work. Well, that the liturgy is like that. It's like a good pair of shoes. Once you got it, you just go. You just go through the service, and you don't even notice. You don't even, some of you do this from memory. You don't even have the hymnal. And I, I bet you all could by now, uh, even just a month or two if you've just joined, you could set the hymnal aside, and I guarantee you, you'd be able to follow the service. Right? But when you first came here, what was it like? It was very different. You're like, well, this is weird. I, I have no idea what direction to turn. Why are people standing? They're sitting now. We just stood. Uh, and, and now the pastor's facing this way, that way. So the, the point there is that this now became home to us. The doctrine has become home to us. Uh, I'll say things that you guys just accept, which is good because that means you know it. But if I said this in any other church, they would throw tomatoes at me or something or crucify me, right? To say, baptism saves you. We baptize babies because the Lord says so. Look, oh, you're all, yep, 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 I got it. Uh, but if we go, so, so that has become normal to you. That has become home to you. Uh, the liturgy, the building, all these sort of things. And the truth is, we're also most comfortable in our own congregation. Uh, I'll give you an anecdote here. We have some members who travel uh, for vacation or who are snowbirds. They go out of town or something. And then they go to another congregation on a Sunday. And then they come back. And they're the happiest I've ever seen them <laughs> when they come back. <laughs> I'm like, wow, what, what happened? And they're like, it was so different. All of it. It was totally different. I, you know, uh, from, from the building itself to the rites and the service and all these sort of things. And then they say, I'm happy to be back home. Uh, and we've seen this also from other uh, members of other churches who have the same liturgy and things like we do. But then they'll come here and they say what? It's like my church back home, right? Or you'll have uh, young uh, people who were born and raised in the Lutheran church. They departed for some time and then they come back to the Lutheran church in their old age and they say, this reminds me of my childhood. This is like, I, I, I can picture my mother standing next to me singing this. Right? It's beautiful. It's, the nostalgia there is a beautiful thing. Again, this is... Sorry, one footnote here. I think this is the problem of taking away the liturgy and changing it, is you rob people of those memories. You rob people of that connection. Why do people love the lessons and carols for Christmas and closing with Silent Night? Because they've done that their entire life. There are people who don't go to church the whole year, and they come for that day. <laughs> And, and they, they love it, right? Well, that tradition, that nostalgia is connected. If we did that every single Sunday, change the service, you would never have those memories to go back to. Anyway, that's a footnote here. Um, but the point is, is that there's no place like home, your, your, your own congregation. We're most comfortable in our own surroundings. The liturgy is complicated, but we're good at it. Uh, the, the sermons are heavy, but you're used to it. You listen. You listen through. In fact, I've noticed this, that um, if you just kind of, for the first time, start listening to Lutheran sermons, you see people get really uncomfortable, uh, especially when the law is preached. And they're like, where is this going? Is it, like, 
Are we going to have a way out of this? And then finally the gospel is preached and then they, they, they sigh relief. Well, you kind of know how it's going, right? You'll hear some of the harshest law in the sermon and you don't run away. You just sit here because you know, I know he's going to preach the gospel. I'm confident of it. He's not just going to leave us hanging here. This is, this is a good thing. And I think congregations are, um, uh, congregations are more willing to sit through really heavy and pointed law if they can know for certain that the pastor won't fail to preach the gospel, right? What, if they know he's going to preach the gospel, then they'll sit through even some of the harshest things, uh, some of the most pointed things in the scriptures. Um, but again, the hymns are difficult, but we've learned them. <clears throat> so keep that in mind. We're at home. We don't even notice many of these things. But an outsider comes or a visitor, and they're stepping into our home. And what do we expect an outsider's son, first Sunday to be like here? It's going to be totally different, completely different. E- even if they grew up Christian their whole life, if they weren't Lutheran, they're going to come here and say, well, this service is totally different. I don't understand any of this. Uh, they're going to feel out of place. And that's expected. We expect them to feel timid and nervous and out of place. Um, if you weren't Lutheran before... Uh, just think back to the first service that you went to, what it was like when you first came here. Or think of a time that you visited another congregation that did things differently um, or another denomination, and you're out of place there. The point is you can't get away from feeling out of place. You, everyone's going to have a home somewhere. Everyone's going to feel out of place somewhere. So the point is we can't say, well, let's change the service so that everybody feels welcome. It's not going to happen. You're, it's you can't please everybody. So we might as well be faithful and do what we do and do it to the best and then teach people why we do it that way. Okay. Um, the, the point here is that uh, um, we have to be understanding of this, that even though we feel comfortable, other people don't. And so this is where hospitality starts to come in. Uh, there's, a, there's a temptation here, though, and the temptation is discomfort that the devil uses oftentimes people's discomfort to drive them away from church or the truth. Uh, Many people who leave, who sit in the service and say, well, that was weird, and then leave, uh, they haven't stayed long enough to realize that we all felt the same way at some point, and we all had to learn this at some point. Um, So our response is this, is that we can't take away the temptation or the feeling of discomfort. I, I've used this analogy before. I think I used it in this class before. But um, like, uh, so for example, watching Avengers Endgame. I use this analogy, right? Uh, there's 22 movies in the entire thing. 22. That's insane. Uh, each like two or three hours long or something. Uh, 22 movies, and then there's the final one, Endgame, that brings it all together. Now, uh, if, you re- if you just walk in and watch the last movie, you're not going to understand anything. Some guy picks up a hammer, and then you say, well, so what? And everybody's cheering. And then some guy says these words, and they're like, yeah. And then, like, okay, that doesn't make sense. But in order to understand that, you have to, under- you have to watch all the previous 21 movies, right? So this is kind of how it is in the liturgy. You say, well, we end with the Nunc Dimittis. Well, if you don't know what that is, or where in the Bible it occurs, or why it's significant, then you're going to say, well, so what? Who cares that we end the service that way? But if you see that the service ends that way because Simeon held the baby Jesus and looks at him and says, Lord, now you lettest thou thy servant 
depart in peace. Let me die. I've seen your face. I don't have to see you say anything, do anything. I know this is, you are the Christ. And the Holy Spirit filled him. And he says, I'm ready to die now. We're able to do the same after we receive the Lord's Supper. We say, okay, I can die. If I go, if I leave the church right now and I get into, God forbid it, but a terrible accident and die, my life is fulfilled. God's word has been fulfilled in my life. The, the, the roof could collapse on us right now and it's over. And God's word is fulfilled in our lives. This is beautiful. And uh, when, we, when we end the service this way, that's so meaningful and significant. But I don't expect somebody to walk off the street and just automatically know that that's why it's significant. Okay, so, so we can't remove this discomfort. Uh, we can do what we can to lessen the discomfort while remaining faithful to God's word. What I want to point out here is that these things here aren't competing with one another. You don't say, well, we're going to be faithful and then we have to be uh, hospitable and something's got to give here, right? So we have to give up faithfulness in order to be really welcoming, or we have to be super faithful and we're not welcoming. They work together. They work together. In fact, um, good, hospital, good hospitality uh, is uh, included in faithfulness. That's part of what it means. So the point is there's nothing we can do to make Jesus' word more effective. But there are things we can do to make the devil's work more difficult. And that's where we would talk about hospitality. So we, we just have to address the elephant in the room, the service is uncomfortable, and a lot of people don't feel at home here. There it is. Okay, so what do we do about that? And I said the answer is not to change everything. Uh, there, there are a few things we can do. Um, but first, I want to talk about the definition of hospitality. It's, it's a friendly reception of guests or visitors or strangers. Um, and I want to talk about the difference between the common understanding of hospitality and then the biblical understanding of it. The, what's the common understanding of hospitality? Hotels, restaurants. Okay, so it's making someone comfortable, catering to their every need, things like this. And then when, it, when it's addressed in the church, what do we imagine? It is coffee and donuts, right? And this is good stuff. That's good. I, I think it was on Vicarage. I told the congregation, because I think they were using Folgers or something. <laughs> and I said, I think maybe more people would join if we, if we had good coffee. Uh, they wouldn't leave. So, so they changed it, and it was good coffee, and it was great. But, um, but that's what most people think of is we'll get donuts. And, and again, that's really good, and I'm not disparaging that. That's not a bad thing. But that's not all it entails because we want them to be not a part of the coffee hour. We want them to be a part of the congregation. How do you do that? Um, so they're fine things, but it's not everything. Welcoming them, these sort of things. Uh, the biblical understanding of hospitality comes from Romans twelve thirteen. Uh, just these two words. It says, pursue hospitality. Uh, hospitality is, the, in, in Greek, philozenia. Philos, which is love, and xenos is? Strangers, foreigners, right? Xenophobia is the fear of strangers. Philozania is the love of strangers. Yeah. Uh, so it literally means the love of strangers. Primarily, this refers to our own homes, that we should be welcoming of even the stranger in our home. But secondarily, it refers to the congregation, uh, that we as a whole would be welcoming 
and loving toward the outsider and the stranger. And that means that the outsider and stranger is going to what? He's going to look different, right, from us. Uh, I'll, they, they may have um, different, uh, I don't know, styles or upbringings or talk in a different way, these sort of things. And we should not be afraid of, of this sort of thing. I don't, I don't care what you look like or the way you talk or an accent or anything. I don't care at all about that. What I care about is what comes out of your mouth, your faith. What, what is your confession? You could have had the worst past in the world. What is your confession? Paul is, uh, Saul was a murderer of Christians. What's his confession? He has an awful stain. And in fact, he actually had trouble because people thought he was tricking them in the, in, in the book of Acts. That he said, uh, oh, now he says he's a Christian. I don't buy it. I don't believe it because he's just going to get in here and then he's going to kill all of us. So he had that big stumbling block, um, that scandal to, to go over. Anyway, well, this is the point. Uh, we don't make a judgment on this. I want to show you James chapter 2, which condemns, or what, James 1, I don't know, uh, which condemns favoritism. Oh, th- there it is, the sin of partiality. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is James chapter 2, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. Now, back then, gold is very expensive. Not everybody has this. And wearing uh, fine clothing is very rare. Uh, Nowadays, everybody has a gold wedding ring or something. Um, But then, this is a sign of wealth immediately. If a man comes in wearing this into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, probably doesn't smell very good or dress very well or is very clean, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there um, or sit down at my feet, have you not made then distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of, uh, by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. This is the gospel lesson last Sunday. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, okay, that James is, is dealing with a very specific issue in the church. And the issue was that uh, people were coming in and he, uh, the congregation was favoring the wealthy and favoring people who would fit in well and then rejecting or shunning or casting aside those who were uh, 
those who are poor. Again, that was not a racial thing. He's not talking about racism is evil. It's inherently evil. It's wrong. Uh, but what he's talking about is the difference of classes. Yeah, Rob. One caveat would be uh, like the downtown congregations, like Trinity downtown. You'd have bums go in there mm. and they'd say, well, like, for example, oh, I need some money to get my car fixed or I need money to get my luggage from this hotel. They won't let me have it and stuff like that. And complete scam and they're trying to put one over on you or the pastor or anybody they can capture. And then they had the compassion corner where they were able to sit down with these people and see what they were really up to and try to help them if they really had a problem rather than put the touch on them where you put everybody on the spot and you don't know anything about these people. Right. Exactly. That, well, that's a danger to, to keep in mind too. And it's unfortunately... Um, our government has taken over uh, welfare and taking care of uh, the, the poor and has now churches don't do this, right? Um, when that was their role in society before uh, the, these charities and things. Anyway, the, the point is we have to be uh, careful with this and I don't think it's helpful to just hand out things to just anybody who walks up to the door. My usual way of handling these things is I say, uh, you're free to become a member and I want you to become a member and I will teach you. And it's going to be better for you to be part of the church and the community and we will constantly be there and there's going to be tons, a hundred of people wanting to help you. But if you just show up one Sunday and then leave, then what's the point, right? You, you, you're isolating yourself and you're perpetuating the problem. So I, I always tell them to cut the issue off at the source. The issue is that there's nobody there surrounding them who cares for them. You're free to join, and I'm happy to teach you, and I'll meet you anytime, anywhere, and teach you the faith, and you can become a part of the congregation. And I guarantee you, if you make friends with the members of the congregation, if they hear that you're struggling or can't make ends meet, a hundred people are going to jump in and help. That's happened here time and time again. We just get word, oh, somebody... I don't know, got a fender bender or, I don't know, got in an accident or whatever happened. And people will come up to me and say, give this to them. Don't tell them I, I gave it. Uh, this has happened countless times. Um, so anyway, I think the solution there is to say, is to not just give handouts because then people show up, take them, and then leave. And then you say, well, that's not what we're for. That's not what the church is for. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an issue, especially in certain parts of, of the world, and uh, I think I talked about this a couple Sundays ago too. The, the way that I usually handle beggars is I, I just buy them food, and then I tell them to go to the nearest Lutheran church as long as it's good. Now, I was kind of surprised when they actually took it. I thought, well, maybe they just want to hand out, and if I offer to buy them some food, they'll they won't take it, but they did. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so this is the thing. So we have to be careful that in, in the church is favoring certain people over others. Uh, this is also why I think it's wise, maybe pastor, some pastors will disagree or not. I think it's wise that the pastor is completely ignorant of offering and finances. So I look at you, I have no idea if you're tithing, right, or, or giving offering or not. If you've given much or if you've given little. If you've required more than you've given... I have no idea <laughs> at all. And the reason is that's deliberate because I want that. I, I said that from the get-go. 
when I first got down here. I said, I want nothing to know about the finances uh, of offering uh, because I don't want to be tempted to favor someone. I don't want to be tempted to say, well, this person has given a lot and they're in, in, in the middle of a, of a fight and this person really doesn't give that much. I'm going to side with the rich guy. <laughs> right? That's, that's awful. That's evil. I don't even want to know or have the temptation. So I don't know. I don't know. So that's between you and God. God knows it. You know your heart. You know if you've given, uh, if, you've, if you're not. Um, again, uh, I, I'll let God be the judge on that. But my job is to just go forward faithfully and, uh, and to preach the word equally to all. It also helps to not intimidate me to say, well, if I'm going to say this, I'm going to be offending. I know I'm going to be offending this person who gives a lot of money. So maybe I just won't say it. So now I have no idea who's, going to be, who's uh, giving much or little, and I'll offend everyone equally <laughs> and uh, call it a day, right? Uh, so anyway, this is, this is the point. We, we want to rip out of our minds this idea of let's favor the rich. And I talked about this again under faithfulness and the motives. We don't want people to join the church to pay our bills. Right? We don't want that. That's the wrong motive. To say, well, we, we want to do outreach now because our church is dwindling, so let's get people in the seats so, to keep the lights on. That's Okay, well, you're doing it for the wrong reason. That's evil. We should be engaging in outreach and evangelism uh, for the sake, because we don't want people to go to hell. That's why. Simple, right? And that, that needs to be the motive first and foremost. And then once you get that motive right, then, then follow with these things. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about two errors quickly about, uh, well, in response to visitors. So we have somebody visit the church, and there's two sort of extremes. Uh, On the one hand, we have pandering. Which is fawning over visitors um, and kind of catering to their every need. Uh, and this is overwhelming for, for uh, people who visit. Uh, visitors, and the reason is because visitors can pick up if a church is like insecure or fearful or desperate. Um, like being pushy for them to join or get involved right away is a red flag for many people. I've seen this, and I'm I'm saying the motivation is good. It's good and a great thing. But I've been to congregations, and I've heard of congregations, even with uh, relatives, where they'll go to the church, and the congregation kind of swarms them and wants to get them involved right away. Or they'll see a young face, and they're like, oh, yes, whatever whatever the young person says, we want young people here. Uh, Again, this idea of just youth is also idolatry. You have to be careful with that. Youth is good, but to idolize the youth and to say that the church is successful because it has young people or children is an idol. Uh, the church is successful because God's word is preached there. If your, forgiveness are, uh, if your sins are forgiven, was the church successful? Yes. That's what you measure it on, not by who listens to it. If it just so happens that your demographic is all senior citizens, then thank God for that. Because that, uh, of all the times that you need God in your life, that's probably the best time to have it, right before you die, right? Um, so don't neglect that. Right now, we see a, a big craze in 
trying to bring down the age of the church. Again, I'm all for that. I love children. I want the church to be filled with that. But, but we don't measure the success of the church that way. So anyway, what, I've, what I'm saying is that churches oftentimes pander or they'll try to get uh, young people involved right away. And what happens is it overwhelms them and then it kind of pushes them away. And they realize, look, this is, you, you guys are being kind of pushy or desperate. It's, I don't know, it's like talking to a girl um, or like going on a date or something and then somebody's too like clingy or pushy or please, please just marry me, <laughs> uh, just propose. And you're like, that's a red flag, right? Let's just let this go. Okay, um, so th- that's sort of, sort of what's going on here. So you can't force these sort of things. Um, again, the congregation is well-intentioned, but they end up sadly doing the opposite of what they intend to do, right? So they, they want people to join, but then they end up pushing them away uh, instead. On the other hand, what do you think it is? The other extreme? Yes, Alyssa, thank you. Ignoring. And that is, uh, I've seen that maybe more than the pandering. Uh, going on, where it's the opposite. It's never even greeting or talking to a visitor. And that is a red flag. Uh, That is a huge red flag. Congregations that ignore visitors, the reason that happens is because they tend to have so many internal problems and issues that they're focused on that. They're saying, oh, this person is here. This person's sitting there. Where do I sit for church? And they don't even notice the visitor. Or they have their own issues going on. That's a red flag. Uh, We've been, well, I've personally been to churches. I've walked in um, and walked out and not a word from from anyone. That's sad. That's not good. Uh, Again, I'll make some comments at the end here. uh, But that's that's very wrong. So I've seen both extremes. So then what is the solution? Uh, it, well, obviously, somewhere in between, somewhere in the middle. Don't ignore them, recognize them, but don't overwhelm them. How exactly I convey that, I don't know. But I'll say this, which I'll get to at the end. I think you guys are really good at this uh, as, as a congregation. It, and I'm not saying all churches. I'm saying you here, <laughs> Zion itself, is very, very good at it. Maybe too good at it in that... Uh, you guys talk too much after the service. <laughs> it goes on forever and ever. But it's a good thing. I mean, you guys are social, and it's, that's really rare. What you oftentimes see is a, a battle between faithfulness and hospitality or, or friendliness. You say, well, if somebody's really faithful to Lutheran doctrine, well, then they're kind of a jerk, and they don't talk to people. Or you find somebody who's really friendly, and then they're also a liberal, right? And you're like, well, I don't want to be either of those. So... It's very rare to find both, to say, I'm faithful to the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And I cling to it steadfastly. and not, I still believe in close communion because that's 1 Corinthians 11. And at the same time, I'm going to be friendly to the stranger who walks into the door and love them. That, that's unique. That's a beautiful attribute to aspire to if, if you don't have it. Uh, so what's the right response? It's to create a culture of noticing guests so that you just notice them. Uh, so the first thing, you notice visitors, uh, you, you keep your eyes open to them. Uh, this is just really, really obvious advice, but the best way to learn who is new and who isn't new in the church, or who is a visitor and who is a member, 
is to, well, even before that, what's more fundamental? <laughs> even more fundamental, you have to be here. You don't know who's coming if you're not here. Right? So, yes, all, everything you said is true. Uh, but if you come to church infrequently, you're going to miss if somebody has joined and you don't, you're going to say, well, that's a visitor. No, I actually joined last Sunday. I didn't know that. Well, where were you? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, you, so you missed out on it. So the best, I think the best thing, again, it's very simple, but just to be here regularly each Sunday and you're, you begin to notice, oh, that's, person, that's a new face, that's a new family, that's a new kid. Um, so simply just infrequent church attendance is, is kind of harmful to the growth of the church or this no, culture of noticing uh, guests. Um, also, by the way, I don't have to say this, but I will. If you notice someone new, uh, don't stare. <laughs> uh, you, you don't just turn around. Or, or, or if the kids are going crazy, you don't look at the mom and the, the kids. And, you know, that, that's awful. Right. Yes, kids are kids. And no matter how well you teach them, they're disobedient. And that's why we baptize them. So uh, they need it. So, uh, so that's the first thing. You notice the guest. But the second thing is you greet the visitor. Uh, everyone should be willing to break away from their normal conversation uh, to make the guests feel welcome. Uh, this doesn't mean that there, there needs to be a big mad rush towards the person, but simply um, it's good to see. <laughs> right, we don't want that. Um, but, but it's good to, that they know that they're noticed, that they know that they're seen. Um, so that means all of you know who are the members here. Um, you, you know how to contact each other too. And if you're in the middle of a conversation and, I don't know, a visitor is walking out the door or something, that would be the time to say, hey, let's break off the conversation and talk to this person. Or let me just introduce myself, or at, at the very least. There's no need to pry or anything just to ask them, hey, what, how did you find Zion? How, what brings you here? I don't know, what did you think? Just simple questions. Um, so that's the first thing. Notice the visitor, greet the visitor, and then third, Allow the pastor to greet the visitor. That's important too. Uh, this means introducing the pastor if the visitor, like if the visitor is on the way out and I'm stuck over here, then uh, finding a way, right? There's sometimes, there have been some people who come to church who visit and I don't even get to talk to them. And that's really unfortunate. Um, but if at all possible to let that happen. It also means allowing the pastor to get to the visitor and talk to them after the service. So that, that, again, I don't want to discourage this. I don't want you to hear this the wrong way. But if you're a member of the church, uh, maybe free up a little bit of time so that he can talk to the visitor. Because you can contact me, right? You can email, call, or text, or these sort of things during the week, uh, where it's helpful to then say, well, I, they came here, uh, they heard the pastor preach, and the pastor has to ascertain one thing from them, who they are and where they go to church and if they want to join. Um, that all connected there. But to allow him to then get to the person, right? And not to, not to bog down with um, business, I would say, like uh, business of the church. I, I think for many years here at Zion, we had meetings on Sundays, and that was overwhelming for everyone. 
because you, you come here, you receive the body and blood of Christ, the most beautiful thing in the world, and then you go to this meeting where you're disagreeing and bickering and fighting and come on, right? And, and it just robs you of the joy of, of that. Well, the same thing would happen to me is I, I would have a meeting and then all of the visitors I wasn't able to talk to. So a good thing, I think, in the life of the church is to schedule no business on Sunday. So to just say, it's off limits. We have six days. Let's figure it out. We'll come here on a Wednesday, on a Saturday if we need to. Uh, I know it's not that ideal, but don't take away Sunday. Right? Don't take away Sunday from yourself or from others or, or your pastor. Um, so with that being said, that's a helpful thing. Uh, Okay, let me ask this. Of all the hospitable acts, again, we talk about coffee, donuts, these sort of things, but of all the hospitable acts, what's the most hospitable thing in the service to do to a visitor? Probably, because we talked about the discomfort and the fact that they wouldn't know anything, probably to help them around in the service. So to communicate with them. And no one person has to take this upon themselves. Like, we don't have one person assigned to do this. But rather, that everybody should know, if I'm sitting next to somebody that I don't recognize, and I see them fumbling around with the hymnal and having no idea where to turn, then this would be a good indication to you to say, I'm going to help you. Here, just take my hymnal. That's probably the easiest thing, rather than trying to communicate what page it it is. Just, here's my hymnal, and I'll do it myself here. Um, To to help them through that. Or to, if they have questions about communion or something, and say... um, uh, you can say, well, you can talk to the pastor, wh- whatever it might be. Um, so I think that's the best thing to help them find their place in the service. Okay, one, uh, a couple of few, or a few more things here. Um, the pastor and hospitality. The pastor is to be hospitable and faithful to the word of God. Um, and this is a difficult thing because we practice closed communion. And people see these things as antithetical to one another. If you're a friendly pastor, then you'll let anyone commune, regardless of where they come from. And if you're a mean pastor, then you're going to say, no, no, later. No, we'll talk later. Um, So the pastor has one job uh, when he sees a visitor, one thing that he has to find out about them. And the thing is, do you belong to our confession or not? Are you Lutheran or not? Like, this is why we use uh, shorthand language. Uh, And I say, well, are you a member of a Lutheran church? Right, I'll ask something like that. Uh, Usually the way I talk to visitors is I'll ask them. I won't just straight off the bat say, well, what do you believe about baptism? I just say, um, or have you been going to church regularly? I'll ask, oh, where are you coming from? What church do you go to? And then here's here's the, the most important question. Who is your pastor? (laughs) <laughs> I ask, who's your pastor? Because if they can't answer, then I know you haven't been to church in a long time. You should know the name of your pastor. Come on. Um, so, so when I see people stumble over that and they're like, ah, I don't know. I say, let's talk after the service. And I want you to come to church regularly. And I want you to know my name uh, if you come here. So that's, that's an important thing. But then if they say, oh, well, if I don't recognize the pastor of the church... Um, and then I'll ask them about this. Is, it, is this a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, uh, things like this. And I'd say, we practice close communion, uh, so on and so forth. So, but if, if they then say, well, I come from this uh, Baptist or Methodist church, I say, okay, great. Uh, let's talk more after the service. 
Um, I'm not going to commune you today, but I want to. And I want to teach you why. And if you, wanna be, if you allow me, if you want to uh, commune here, let's do it. I'm all for it. I just have to teach you what's going on here. I, I, just, can't, I just can't dispense this to everybody. That's, I, I, I have a job to do. So, so anyway, some people will balk at that and then say, oh, that's really mean. Who are you to judge me? And I say, uh, that, it's not my job, job to judge your heart. It's my job to judge your confession. Meaning, I can't look at people and just automatically say, you're faithful, you're not faithful, you're not. I have to hear what you're saying. So if you then begin to depart from the faith by saying other things, then I have to say, hey, you've got to fix that because now you're going in a different direction. You're a sheep that's wandering. Okay, um, so again, the, the idea is that close communion and hospitality are antithetical, but uh, it's unwelcoming or unloving. But it really is an integral part of hospitality. And that the pastor begins teaching about communion within the first seconds of meeting somebody. Uh, so that the, the pastor's job isn't to woo the, uh, the visitor or to give a sales pitch to join the church. It's simply to ask what they believe and if they're interested in, in learning. Um, that this, this is important. Uh, how do you love the stranger? What's the best way to love the stranger? What, what do you want for the stranger who walks in here? You want their salvation. Okay. If, if the Lord's Supper can be received to our detriment, is it a loving thing to just commune people indiscriminately? No. Because they could receive it to their detriment. So my job is to make sure that you're receiving it in a worthy manner. Not saying that you're better than, or we're better than you, or vice versa. We're saying that the manner in which you receive it is worthy. That is, that you claim that you're a poor, miserable sinner. That you claim that this is the body and blood of Christ because he said so. And that you receive it then for your forgiveness. That's why. Um, th- that's then important. Yeah. Exactly. It, well, that usually couples itself with a low view of the sacrament, a low view of the Lord's Supper. Because if, if it's only bread and wine, or if it's a spiritual or uh, memorial meal, then what's the harm of taking that? Well, then you just didn't remember Jesus. So, well, no harm, no foul there. Uh, but if you say, well, this is the very body and blood of Christ, and that the scriptures themselves say uh, to, to examine yourselves, uh, to make sure that 
that you're uh, one in the faith, to have no divisions or disagreements among you. That's not talking about politics or sports. It's talking about doctrine. Don't, di- don't be divided on doctrine. That's what Paul I- exhorts. Be of one mind. Have no div- divisions among you, so on and so forth. Uh, and then it says that you can receive it for your detriment, that this is why some of you are weak and ill and some have died. I'm not going to test God and say, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. He said it. I'm just going to leave it. And so it's my job to, to do the most loving and caring thing. Again, close communion isn't perfect communion. That doesn't mean that I've communed everybody perfectly. That, that means that are there hypocrites that receive communion? Yeah. Do I know who they are? No, because if, if I knew who they were, then I wouldn't commune them. But th- they could be lying. People could be lying. Again, the same thing applies. If that's the case, if somebody is just going through the motions, says, yeah, yeah, I believe all this stuff, whatever, but inwardly I disagree and I, I fight against this, uh, okay, then God will judge you. God will be your judge. I'll leave it at that. But my job is not to try and uh, investigate your heart. It's just to hear what you have to say. And so, so this is the bottom line. So again, people who won't give the time to at least listen to that, then they get upset and then they say, you guys are mean and judgmental. Okay, fine. I've, I've heard it all before. But if, if you do give us the, the, the time of day to, to let me just finish my sentence and tell you, then they'll say, okay, that makes sense. I disagree, but, but I understand where you're coming from. I'll tell you one quick thing here. Um, we had one guy who was Dutch Reformed. He was a Dutch Reformed pastor who came here. And he came on Christmas Day in 2017. And he said, uh, he came in and I made an announcement. I said, um, we practice close communion. If you're not of this confession, then don't, receive, don't come up to receive the Lord's Supper, so on and so forth. After the service, do you know what he did? He was happy. <laughs> he, he came up to us, and there was a big circle of us standing right there at the door. And he was telling us, he's like, that's wonderful. Because that means you actually believe something is happening. That's what he said. He, he, was, he was out of it. And he said, that means you believe that Jesus is there. He says, I disagree, but that shows that you have conviction. Of what, and that was, ama- that was some of the most encouraging words I've heard uh, from a guy who disagreed with us and said, that's it shows. It shows where you guys stand. And he says, that's good. You're, you understand what's going on here. Okay. Um, yes, Rob. Charlie Kirk is kind of an interesting political figure in that he knows that there is a spiritual foundation that uh, that's the only way that will lead to reform in the political realm as well. So he has a show on Christian radio and he brought up an interesting statistic that the mainline denominations only, I think, somewhere between 25 and 33 percent only believe that the Bible, the morality of the Bible is authoritative, that that's the end of the story. What was the percentage? Like between 25 and 33 percent. Yikes. So the rest of them think that they've got some better ideas. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's troubling. Um, yeah, well, this, this is precisely why we have to ask, well, what church do you come from? Because if all churches taught the same thing, then it wouldn't be a problem. Uh, but there are churches that allow or tolerate false doctrine. Um, 
so uh, again, this is why we have to be very, very careful. Uh, doctrine, again, doctrine is first and foremost. Um, <clears throat> okay, I want to close up here. Uh, but hospitality is love of strangers. We should love them. We should love visitors. We should love outsiders and guests. We should be happy for them to visit the congregation, no matter who the person is, what language they speak, what they look like, what they smell like, whatever it might be. Uh, we thank God that they've led them to this particular congregation. We don't ignore them. We don't pander to them. We greet them, and we remove obstacles that would keep them from becoming a member. Uh, if I could summarize it this way, don't, don't let your behavior or attitude be a reason why people don't join the church or use it as an excuse to not join the church. Right? So many times you hear this where, where you walk in and nobody greeted me. Okay, that shouldn't... If uh, The truth is more important than your feelings, right? So even if nobody greeted you, you should still come. But again, don't let that be an excuse that people use to say, well, I walked into that church, nobody greeted me. Okay, well, we got to do better at that next time. Or they were really overwhelming and they seemed desperate. Don't let that be a thing. Um, <clears throat> so out, outreach begins at church. It begins with faithfulness to the word of God, faithful doctrine, uh, beauty, and then hospitality. Now, I know I've been kind of preaching to the choir here because I've said that you guys are all very hospitable, very, very loving and caring and kind. And in fact, in a degree that you don't, it's very rare. You don't find it in many churches. And I love that about Zion. But of these three, which one were we missing? Faithfulness, beauty, hospitality. <laughs> beauty, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. really. I mean, honestly, uh, it's... it's it's a very kind of a difficult thing to, to meet in a, in a room. Um, especially you see the, 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 uh, the discrepancy between the formality of the service and the room itself. But Zion has been faithful and, and hospitable through the years, uh, even in a not-so-beautiful building. Uh, but Zion will have a beautiful building. And my plea to you is that you guys have been faithful to God's Word and you have been friendly now that we'll get a beautiful building, to not forget to be those things, to not forget to be faithful or friendly, to not become complacent or arrogant uh, to the visitor or something like this, um, or ruin the, the hospitality and the joy that we have in the church. I think it's a great and wonderful thing. Uh, the fact that you guys talk so much, that is awesome. I love it. I love to see old people talk to younger people and younger people to the kids, whatever, whatever way it happens, it's, it's great and it's good. Um, okay, any questions?